this is a lecture recording for uh, the course Women and Empowerment um, and I am going to be discussing the chapter Sultana's Dream and Analysis from the book. In the book this is uh, given on page number 167. We've already discussed this in class so I'm going to make this discussion fairly short but I'm going to cover all the salient points for those of you who have not been in class or who have any confusion even after listening to the recording. Um, you are most welcome to get back to me. So, uh, Sultana's Dream was uh, was a short story which was actually written by somebody called Rukaya, Rukaya Shikhawat Hussain. And uh, uh, Hussain lived from the 18th century to the 19th century, sorry, from the 19th century to the 20th century. She died in 1930s, if I'm not wrong, right? right. She died in 1932. And she was fairly active. She was born in uh, what is now Bangladesh. She was born in an affluent Bengali Muslim family uh, who were also fairly conservative. A lot of upper middle class families were and still remain to this day fairly conservative, which meant that uh, overtly uh, she was not given a lot of education, but her elder brothers and sisters taught her how to read and write in English also and in Bangla also. Um, she was allowed access by her husband. She got married at the age of 16. She was allowed access to magazines, to writing, to creative uh, sort of expressions by her husband as well, which basically meant, and then later on she went on to um, open two schools for girls. Uh, one was, I think, somewhere in Bangladesh and the other one was in Calcutta. The one in Calcutta still remains. And this basically meant that she was able to engage with uh, a lot of present-day political and social issues, but from a feminist perspective. That was basically the stance that she had taken, because of which, of course, we are also discussing her today. And uh, because she lived through a lot of, uh, you know, a, a large number of her uh, productive years um, were spent in witnessing or were spent in being part of the Indian freedom struggle, she died in 1932, right, and India gained freedom in 1945. So she must have been uh, a witness to a large number of discussions which were thrown up and which were generated during the freedom struggle. And one of the one one of the more important issues, at least in the context in which we're discussing the idea of women in India or feminism in India or femininity in India was also the state of Indian women and how it could change in the newly independent India whenever this freedom was granted uh, or whenever this freedom was won rather than granted if we have to take agency for what we had done. So in, in that sense, um, the condition of women, the women question and how it could be changed and how it could be looked at objectively or from a different perspective, was something that was um, it, it was part of the common uh, public platform discussions, which a lot of politicians, a lot of social reformers were engaging in, and so um, a lot of what writers like Shikhawat Hussain were also doing can be seen in the context of that kind of a historical background as well, right? And we're going to also talk about some of the dominant strains of the. Uh, feminist or the proto-feminist uh, discussions which you find in the story that we are going to discuss right now. Some of the views that uh, Hussain actually expresses um, are fairly similar to or fairly coterminous with what Gandhi was also talking about, um, you know, vis-a-vis -vis women. And we are going to talk about that as well. 
so uh, what the story is about and the the essay is basically just a summary of the story i'm not going to focus too much on the summary but i am going to help you uh, with a little bit of the critical analysis of the story and how it fits in with the larger discussion that we are trying to create and we are trying to have through this course in general right so um the story sultana's dream is basically about um you know the the author or the narrator sorry the narrator actually falls asleep and when she falls asleep she dreams about uh, a place or a country called ladyland it's called ladyland right and uh, the text calls it a feminist utopia what feminism is is something that we've already talked about earlier a utopia for those of you who studied it in political science or in history might know it but if not a utopia um is basically a kind of a place usually uh, a fantasy place where everything is perfect uh, or the way that it's usually understood is that because everything is perfect there is no negative it's it's a perfect place it's not possible for this place to be real so it has to necessarily be a fantasy place right uh topia in greek the root word is basically place uh so utopia is basically the perfect kind of place the opposite of utopia is usually dystopia where nothing is perfect at all right and because it's not possible to live in a place it's not possible for a place to exist where everything is wrong so dystopia is also a fantasy sort of a construct right uh utopia was also the name of a very famous book but i'm not going to go into any more details about it right now that's what a feminist utopia actually means here so it's a place it's a perfect place but it's also a feminist place and uh, she goes to this place with what she calls her friend sister sara who sort of belongs to the real world and throughout the story we get to know that sara is not able to let go of the assumptions let go of the values of this real world in that imaginary lady land which means that she keeps on getting distance from the narrator because she doesn't understand why the narrator is changing because the narrator keeps on the more she explores lady land and the more she knows about this place the more it makes sense to her but it doesn't to sara so they keep on getting distance through the story now what happens in lady land is that the usual gender roles and if you remember gender is a social construct right it's not a biological construct this gender roles get reversed in lady land and um you know just just before sleeping the narrator had been thinking about the condition of indian women and seemingly that's where it stems from so husain actually makes it fairly clear that the arguments that she is going to make in a creative way in um you know in sultana's dream that the narrator is sultana uh, are basically a product of a creative retelling of or a creative reaction to the condition of indian womanhood so it should be looked at especially in that context right so the place where she lands up it's a beautiful place nature is not wild everything is tended to everything is nurtured everything is well taken care of right there are no um, there, there are no distortions or aberrations in this place and uh, what she realizes is that as soon as she comes to know what this lady land is 
right she uh, at first she feels very very uncomfortable because women here don't wear purda if you remember hussein was writing in the 19th and the early 20th century she comes from an upper middle class uh, or an upper class bengali zamindar family so it it is perfectly possible that despite her radical views and her reformist activities throughout her life it's possible that she never stepped out or she never met anyone without a purda so for her to even articulate or even imagine that there would be a place where women could roam around without a parda would have been fairly heretical would have been fairly shocking so and so it happens with sultana as well so when sultana goes to lady land and when she sees that women are roaming around without parda she 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 is very uncomfortable because uh, you know um because with, uh, because she is always been taught that that's the right thing to do and in lady land that's not something that women do at all and because she's shy and because she's nervous about it because she is timid about what is happening and she's uncomfortable that is another thing that she realizes in lady land timidity and shyness is a virtue that is associated with men and that is, that that is taught to men precisely because according to this place if you don't te- teach men to be calm to be quiet to be timid to be shy then they let their animal instincts which are inherently violent which are inherently destructive they will let those animal instincts actually get the better of them and so there is going to be violence in the country and lady land is predicated on and it's based on feminine principles so if you remember in the initial discussions about feminism that we had i did talk about how there were two or three different ways in which feminism is usually understood two ways that i'm going to talk about so that it becomes clear as to what hussein is also doing here right or the way in which we can actually understand this story not about what she wanted or she didn't want we can never know what hussein actually wanted uh, because she's not told it to us she's just left the story it is for us to interpret it in as many ways especially constructive ways as possible so coming back to the discussion of what feminism what i was talking about was that especially in the indian context there were two different ways in which feminism was developing in the late 19th and the early 20th century one of the ways was uh, that you know the reformers who were and hussein was one of the reformers right they wanted uh, because they uh, had access to english ideals uh, a lot of the reformers were uh, inspired by the way in which the west lived right so western women had more education they had as much education as men or it, that's what it seemed like at least from this context at least from this far away right uh, western women did not have they were not bound by the parda they were not bound by processes and rituals like sati uh, they had equal um, employment opportunity of course those things are not really true but at least you know that's how it was projected so social reformers and those who believed in the policy or in the ideals of social reform they believed that the only way in which the condition of women can be changed is by changing the law and by creating masculinity and femininity at a sort of an equal uh, status right and so women should have exactly what men have and that's the only way in which a sort of parity or equality of the genders can be associated so if women do the housework so should men if men earn um, you know if men go out and earn money and so should women right so everything should be exactly the same 
the other way in which indian feminism was sort of developing was the way in which gandhi's influence became very important and gandhi and a lot of writers like madhavi varma and even hussein to a large extent and you can see strains of both of these feminisms in uh, hussein's writing gandhi believed that the two sexes or the two genders sorry not sexes that the two genders were actually complementary in nature so it was not really a competition there were things which women intrinsically and inherently could do and there were things which inherently and intrinsically men couldn't do and as long as they complemented each other they respected each other despite the fact that women were um, naturally seen by theoreticians political social as well as gender theoreticians like gandhi even if you say that women are more nurturing they're more emotional they're more gentle it's not a bad thing so the discrimination which patriarchy had been leveling at women that they were more emotional they were less rational uh, right all of these were things that people like gandhi considered to be a good thing they said so what if women are emotional that's a good thing actually right it's not a negative thing so the problem according to gandhi was not that you know there was this distinction between the sexes the problem with gandhi was that the distinction was politicized as one having more importance and the other less importance so he said women were not aligned with sciences and gandhi himself was not a great fan of civilization or of the industry or of the machine or of the sciences he thought that capitalism as such uh, fostered greed and greed fostered selfishness and selfishness fostered all manners of destruction and destructive energy see he was not aligned with science or development or the western idea of development as a positive force anyway and he thought that women were better judges of character precisely because they had an emotional understanding of the world so it was a good thing that women were emotional and you see strains of that kind of argument coming through here so um, you know um, so women in lady land they actually say that women are more emotional and hence they are more capable of taking care of the world right anyway coming back and the the things that i've been discussing till now are i'm on page number 168 and 169 now right so um uh, in lady land sultana realizes that women are given the responsibility of making decisions regarding governance politics scientific inquiry these are usually the things which are associated with men but sultana gets to know that precisely because women take decisions vis-a-vis governance politics and science with a sense of the moral and emotional maturity that is usually associated with women so governance is not uh, you know it's not corrupt politics is not uh, oppressive and science actually does not create negative machinery or negative things it creates a positive energy it's only used where it can make life nature and the moral existence of the people better right so the distinction of the sexes is maintained but it's maintained in a way in which it becomes beneficial for both men and for women right so uh, and and in lady land sultana is told that women were forced to take over the running of their realm due to the excessive militarism and general mismanagement of affairs by men because men had been taught from infancy that they have to be macho they have to be 
violent and that the only kind of courage which is worth showcasing and which is worth taking pride in is the courage of battle it's the courage of physical strength right so militarism is becomes or did become in this sense uh, a reflection of the power of men and so a lot of wars were fought and these wars were fought not for any real reason but because of the egos of men so men who are usually associated with rationality and logic now by looking at things just by looking at things from a different perspective right in women in lady land decided that what usually men call logic is actually not logic if you destroy yourself if you kill other people if you kill nature and if you don't use science only and only for constructive things then that's not logic it's actually the opposite of logic so by using the same words only by interpreting them in different ways right different kind of an assessment of or, or or analysis of the prevalent conditions can be made so whereas men used uh, you know science logic rationality physical strength as validations for gaining more power and not giving any responsibility and any power to women women use the same kind of words just interpreting them differently to prove that men actually are not capable of a sustainable way of living so they should not be given control of this and what is uh, and and hussein actually calls it animal instincts she says men have such animal instincts such violent instincts and animal because it's illogical the kind of violence that men use and perpetrate against one another that's a kind of violence which actually doesn't have any logic to it people just die for the ego of one man or another and so there's no peace right so what what these women have done is they've pushed men or they've secluded men into the mardana in places in parda where men uh, where men are kept secluded from women but later on she also says on page number 170 she also said that um, unlike in zanana zananas are basically closed quarters for women um, where you know in upper class uh, especially muslim families zananas were uh, women's quarters women were not allowed to step out of the zanana without the parda so it was a common concept and there is a parallel concept here called the mardana the mardana is would be the inner quarters of a house the inner rooms of a house where men would be secluded so on 170 um you know hussein actually says the sultana actually who's narrator she actually realizes that even though men are kept in the mardana they're not given any skill based activity like embroidery or sewing so what happens is that traditionally in the real world women who are secluded to the zanana are allowed to do only these kind of things right these kind of skill based things like sewing like embroidery which requires a lot of skill you can't do it well if you don't know how to do it and it also requires a lot of patience and it happens on 169 she says men are confined only after they've demonstrated their incompetence right so men have been confined to the mardana only after it became clear that if you leave the world to men they are going to destroy it right but in the real world right women are confined to the zananas without any practical or historical or logical reason just because they are women so they are confined but in ladyland men are not only confined but they are stopped from doing any work which requires real skill or patience because men are not taught to have any patience and they don't really have any real skills at least that's the assertion that is made 
right so um in that sense um the usual ideas of what domesticity is what domestic space looks like where mostly women are the ones who do all the work men are the ones who do the outside work uh, you know the engagement with science the engagement with politics and the way that we understand these domains usually men are the scientists men are the politicians those are of course um you know that they are completely subverted they are completely inverted and um it's it's especially for somebody in the early 20th century somebody who's brought up in in that context you can understand how shocking and how rebellious it must have been at that time to publish a story like this we are still used to you know at least being able to openly discuss these ideas but for somebody in the 20th century it would have been fairly uh, you know rebellious uh, to be able to talk about these things and to be able to imagine this so in that sense it's it's definitely very very interesting and um it it also shows in 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 a very subliminal way it also shows how the you know the patriarchal conditioning is so deeply ingrained that for us it's not even possible to think about these things because we take the way the things are to be granted to such a large extent right it uh, it 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 seems to us that uh, you know no other version or no other structure of the world is actually possible but that of course is not the case and it's very interesting then that you know hussein creates this narrative technique of a dream because a dream is a fantasy and it's it's beyond the control of the person who's dreaming it right uh, in that sense it takes away any kind of a moral blame that people might have levied against the narrator to saying that you have all of these rebellious thoughts right so that's one way in which you can get away with saying anything that you want in a dream because it's beyond the country control of the dreamer anyway coming back to the story um there are a lot of instances in which patriarchy is inverted for example solar energy is shown as being used both for aerial transportation for uh, you know for agriculture in kitchens everything is pick and span so women are seen as being capable of handling both science technology politics governance and absolutely everything else as well and um, you know because women are seen as people or as uh, persons who are capable of handling all of these different aspects of the society the agency the authority that is given to women that also of course it seems as if there is no need for men except for the you know for the species function in that sense there is no need for men at all um you know in in the social and in the uh, in in the social life of women at all right um and then later on again this is on this is on the bottom of page number 169 sara says but dear sultana how unfair it is to shut in the harmless women and let loose the men so this this is a this is an argument which one hears so very very often if you guys you know sort of if you guys just pay attention the fact that women should not go out because it's not safe for women but if it's not safe for women then who is who is that entity who poses a threat to women it's men usually right and it, it seems so simple for uh, sara to say this but again remember that this is being written in the early 20th century and that's a time women don't really talk or think like this and yet sara says she says that um if women can't go out because men pose the problem then 
you have to deal with the problem you can't just deal with the symptom so you keep the men locked in and then women can go out wherever they want and there is going to be no danger to women it seems like a very very logical thing to do so if and she make and she gives exa- gives this example she says if there is a wild animal around you're going to shoot the animal because the animal is the threat you're not going to take the victim away uh, because the animal might actually come back at any given point in time so you have to solve the problem but you have to first realize exactly what the problem is right so that's that's an interesting way of um, looking at it um sara also suggests and this is on page number 170 that while women are physically weak they are naturally superior to men intellectually and they should therefore they should be in control the feminine skills are generally denigrated as being unimportant by patriarchy but they are celebrated in this world for enabling women to rule the world better now do you, uh, please connect it with uh, the discussion that we've just had about a uh, about 10 minutes ago about the way in which gandhi as well as a lot of other feminist writers of the time looked at femininity and masculinity as being complementary sort of um, aspects of people rather than being completely different so if women are intellectually superior because they use their emotional and their nurturing um, you know effects and aspects even when they deal with intellect and with science right um in that sense uh, we have actually we have discussed almost all the important points from the text and so um yeah we have discussed all the important points if um, and please also relate it with how ecofeminism talks about the difference or the distinction between masculinity and between femininity and all of these arguments these this creative story as well as what ecofeminists talk about in which uh, you know the way in which uh, men perpetrate violence both over women and over nature those sort of ideas also become connected in that sense right so i'm going to stop here we've discussed all the important points from the text uh, please go through the chapter if you have any questions if you have any doubts please get back to me